Guys, good morning. It's so great to be here with you. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. It really is, it's a joy and privilege uh, to be here uh, together with you. It's Super Bowl Sunday today. All right, come on, go ahead, get, your, get excited. You know what, church is one of those places where sometimes we, we think that we need to be hushed or quiet. It is Super Bowl Sunday today. Raise your hand if you're going to watch the game. Okay, so almost everybody is going to watch the game today. It is one of the most frequented uh, American pastimes, NFL football, uh, and it is, it's, it's game day. Okay, now. Let's get to the ministry of things. Who, by show of hands, is pulling for the Rams? Go ahead. Raise them high. Raise them high. Okay? Just want to see. Who who of you are pulling for the New England Patriots? Okay. I see. I see hands. There were a lot of hands that weren't even raised. I, I'm just, I wanted to know who was pulling for the Patriots so I knew where to preach the most today. Who needed to really hear the gospel today? Really have conviction brought to their heart. Yeah, I saw it. I saw that. I saw that. Mm -hmm. As joking aside, it's a great day. I love to celebrate. And whether it's uh, a Sunday like today where it's just Super Bowl Sunday, right? And it, it makes for a fun moment to celebrate, whether it's worship uh, with the band and celebrating together in that capacity, whether it's during the offering or it's during the message. I love to celebrate. My wife and I love to have parties at our house. Uh, we love having people over. Celebration is a good thing. And so I am celebrating the fact that we just kicked off making disciples class here at our church. Uh, that is a, that's a great celebratory moment because we're learning as a church how to be disciples who make disciples. That's worth celebrating because it's why we do what we do. The other thing that we're celebrating, you saw a little video of the Every Nation Campus Conference because we love college students here. We love young people here and, and reaching the next generation and inviting them on this journey of faith. And there's a tremendous conference happening next weekend in Augusta, Georgia. And many of people from our church are going, my wife and I are even speaking at one of the breakouts. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. We don't know what we're talking about yet, but it's worth celebrating. One of the other things that's worth celebrating is it's the month of February. And you know what that means? It's Black History Month. And that is something that we celebrate. And maybe you've not celebrated that in a church before, but we celebrate it in this church. And so uh, we are excited. Yes, you can put your hands together. We love the fact that is at High Point and in the ministry that we're a part of called Every Nation, we have the privilege and honor of walking alongside people of different color, people that do not look like each other, and representing not only to ourselves and to the world what Jesus looks like, but growing in our relationship, our experience, our capacity to love people who don't look like us. And there are tremendous men and women African-American men and women in our country uh, then and now who have done unbelievable work uh, in the body of Christ at bringing uh, what has been traditionally segregated in our country, bringing men and women together to worship God and have genuine Christ-centered, gospel-filled relationships. And that's what we're after. And it's an honor as a 
I don't know if you know this, but I am white. I know. It's a shocker. It's a big day today, guys. But it is, it's, it's an honor, and I mean that, to have friends and relationships uh, with people in this church who don't look like me, but are willing to trust me and the leadership here at our church. And it has truly been, uh, the last five years in particular, have been a tremendously growing chapter of my life as I've learned to sit and hear and listen to people's stories who have not and do not look like mine. And uh, I want to say thank you. And this month, I personally am celebrating Black History Month, but our church is as well. And we are going to, uh, we're going to come after it this morning. We're going to talk about some things that maybe are a little uncomfortable, maybe things you don't always talk about in church, but we're going to talk about it today. I mean, it is Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, there are going to be people hitting each other hard today on TV, and we're going we're gonna to watch it all afternoon. We might as well start right now, baby. You guys ready for this? We're going to pray, and then we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to continue working in our hearts this morning. Glad to be with us. Thank you for this church. God, I know many are not here today. They've jobs that have required them to work on Super Bowl Sunday. God, or they're out of town. God, maybe we're distracted thinking about parties and food and all the things we're going to. I'm asking now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd center our hearts, that you'd fix our eyes upon you, and that today, Lord, would be a day of great growth for us. Let us continue worshiping you today. Now, regardless of the season of life that we're in, God, speak to us in a powerful way. Amen. Here at High Point, one of the things that we believe and we stand by and we, we are championing and sooner than later you will see printed on some things is the idea that Jesus changes everything. We believe that Jesus changes everything. And when we talk about things like race and racial reconciliation, Jesus changes everything. If we are the kind of men and the kind of women who are truly surrendered to Jesus and his kingship in our lives, then there are attitudes and thoughts and behaviors that have to continually change before him. How many of you have arrived and no longer need to grow. Hopefully no hands have been raised. Behavior is a result of our thoughts, our thought life, and the patterns and conditioning that we have received growing up are what produce your actions and your behavior. And so what I've been asking for heading into the message today is that God would literally speak to us about new ways of thinking. That he would renew our minds today. So here's what we're, we're, we're going to do. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And we are, we are going to speak today about uh, this passage. It's a parable uh, that Jesus is sharing to an expert in the law. 
And we're going to speak today about racial reconciliation. We're going to speak about relationships at large. You're going to hear a large portion of the message is me just sharing some of my own journey and some of my own stories in this process of becoming more like Christ or trying to, might I add. But let's get into the passage here because I think it's going to speak to us even as we begin reading. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem. you got to love Jesus. He didn't just answer the guy. He's like, well, let me tell you a story. In reply, Jesus says a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. You've got an expert in the law grilling Jesus on eternal life. The expert in the law, if you know anything about Jewish history, an expert in the law Everybody, by the way, this isn't just, just, this isn't just the experts that I'm giving you a little history on. Everyone was trained and developed and equipped in Jewish history with the law. It was steeped in everything. By the time you were finishing your elementary school education, you had the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, memorized. Sometimes I can't even remember my phone number. You, you think I'm joking. Some, you, know what I, you know what I'm talking about where someone, you haven't given your phone number out in so long or your zip code. And you're like, oh my gosh, what's my zip code? I can't even remember. I cannot even remember. It happens, okay? It happens. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's a couple, couple little silver, silver fox hairs that are coming in. Rut row. Okay. Okay. Let me get this back on track. An expert in the law is asking Jesus, this man knows the Old Testament. This man knows what's right. He knows what's true. He's grounded in it. And as he responds to Jesus, he responds with the right answer. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And then he takes it a step further and he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' response is, man, you are, you are right on the money, bro. That's exactly right. But instead of taking it and simply living that out, he wants to justify himself. He wants to make himself right in his own eyes, and so he wants to qualify who his neighbor is so he knows who he has to apply this to and therefore who he does not have to apply this to. And Jesus is helping this man understand that with God there are no conditions around people and people groups and who you like or who you love or who you are called to love people with as it pertains to all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're supposed to love God with that, but the way you, you, you measure whether you're loving God is by looking at how you love your neighbor. Ouch. And so he shares a story with him. And the audience that he's speaking to is primarily Jewish. And a priest walks by a man that's robbed on the side of the road. And a rabbi, or Levite, excuse me, walks by this man that's in pain. This man that is injured. Those who know what's right, who've been trained in what's right. Who could spout out the answers of what's right. And I want you to remember this, that knowing the truth and living the truth are not the same. And for many of us, church, that has been part of our challenge, especially as we begin this conversation into racial reconciliation. Knowing the truth and actually applying that truth are two very, very different things. The, the Samaritan, the hero of the story, to the shock of all the listeners, is the single most despised people group for a Jew at this time. And the fact that it wasn't the Jewish person, the one who knew what was right, but the Samaritan, the unclean, the one that they had disdained for, he was the one who not only knew what was right, but did what was right. I find it interesting that even at the end of the story, when Jesus asks, who, who is it that, who loves their neighbor? The man doesn't qualify who the guy is. He just, it's almost like he can't even say the Samaritan. It's the, it's the guy that, it's the guy that, that loved him. The Samaritan. The person that you least expected. Jesus is telling a story that is, that is aimed at the heart of nationalism that's happening in the Jewish people and also racism that's happening with Jewish people. Now, this isn't about these people groups that we're talking about today. But Jesus, the Bible speaks a great deal about how we treat other people, specifically our willingness and desire and hunger and drift to judge people by the way they look, by the way they act, by the way they sound, by the way they fill in the blank. And Jesus is playing no games here. And he's going straight to the heart of it. 
And so as we celebrate Black History Month and as we celebrate racial reconciliation and work as a church and a, a body of people to be in greater reconciliation with one another, I wanted to share with you some of my own story in this. Because I think some of you might be able to identify with it. And I wasn't planning to make the entire message about racial reconciliation, but I couldn't shake it. I called a couple of people on the phone, and everything I heard made me say, you know what, I need to take this microphone and speak to the heart of this because it is something that has plagued our nation and continues to plague our nation. And if we stick our head in the sand as Christians and act like racism does not exist in this country, we are ignorant to the problems that we must speak to with the gospel. And everybody said, amen. So I'm 38 years old. I grew up in St. Louis. Part of the reason that I'm pulling for the Rams is they used to be in St. Louis. And this is the closest victory that I will have in a long time. Okay. But I grew up in St. Louis, and I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis. You know, in the 80s, in the 90s. The suburb that I grew up in was called Eureka. If you've ever been to Six Flags in St. Louis, that's where I grew up, okay? And the suburb that I grew up in was primarily Caucasian. And by primarily, I mean I can't literally think of knowing or having a relationship with a family of color in my neighborhood in the two homes that I lived in. I can't think of one family on my street. And I'm not saying this to shame or guilt or I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that. I'm just saying my experience growing up was that I didn't have relationships with people who didn't look like me. Lived in the suburbs. Elementary school, middle school, high school. I went to a church and I grew up going to church. And I'm not saying that I didn't ever see someone that was African American. I'm saying I didn't have a meaningful relationship with someone that was African American. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a significant challenge that we're facing in our country right now. The average Caucasian family and the average African-American family have never had someone over for dinner that does not look like them. Those are the facts. And we wonder why reconciliation continues to be so difficult. It's because we celebrate diversity, but we do not celebrate reconciliation. We celebrate a room being, you know, looking different, but we haven't taken the actual steps of looking each other in the eyes and knowing one another and knowing the names and knowing someone's pain and someone's, someone's the, the names of their children. So I grew up elementary school, middle school, and high school and didn't have meaningful relationships with people who didn't look like me. What name by his fault? It was just the reality of the life I lived. And they went to a church, and it was a great church. It's where I learned to love Jesus, and I fell in love with him. And I can think of Cliff McDaniel, the one black man that I knew that went to my church. And that was the exposure that I had to relationships, meaningful relationships with people that didn't look like me. College rolls around and I pack my bags and I head off to Lipscomb University. 99.9% .9 
a white university. Again, was, was, some, was there some force in my life, you know, trying to protect me, <laughs> you know? Or, or, no, of course not. But I've spoken to many of you. And many of you describe the exact same thing. Maybe on the other side of the fence. But meaningful relationships with people that don't look like you didn't come easily to you. And when 76% of the country is Caucasian and the area that I live in is predominantly Caucasian, I can live and you can live the, the majority of your life in a world that is predominantly Caucasian. And the amazing thing happens when your life is insulated like that is that you do not become acquainted with the experiences that someone else has. You assume, therefore, that my life is this way and my life looks like this. Therefore, everyone's life must look like this. And that is absolutely not the case. I went to a university, and one of my best friends was African-American. He was the first black person to pledge my fraternity in the history of my fraternity. Jazz Boone, one of my, still one of my dearest friends. And even in that relationship, I never thought one time to ask what it was like for him growing up in the United States as a young African-American man. Never one time, because it never occurred to me that the manner in which he grew up might be different than the manner in which I grew up. It didn't occur to me to do such a thing. So what happens in conversations regarding race and reconciliation is that this word that, that is offensive to many of us, I'm going to use it right now. It's called ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance like, oh, that guy's so ignorant. No, I mean ignorant in the realities of the world that I have lived in is the only world that I know. And because that's true, I am ignorant to the world that anyone else might have experienced. And if I do not intentionally take steps to head over and engage in conversation and relationships with someone who doesn't look like me, I will remain ignorant. And that is, that, that is the case for me. That was the case for me. Excuse me. I got engaged, I got involved in a ministry uh, in, in, in Nashville, Tennessee that all of a sudden thrusts me in a church environment and, and for the first time ever, I'm looking at people and being preached to by people and being led in worship by people that do not look like me at all, from Latino to German to, to African American to Indian to you name it. And I'd never experienced anything like it. And I was thirsty and hungry for more. But I was ignorant. I wasn't just ignorant because of my lack of relationships, church. I want you to hear this, and this might be hard to hear. 
but it's Super Bowl Sunday, so we're going to go there. I'm also, I was ignorant because of my lack of education. And I don't mean that I didn't go to a good school that educated me on math. I mean, I didn't know the history of our own country very well. And the reality is, many of us do not. And so, even now, one of the things that I've been working on and trying to do is listening to podcasts about African-American history in our country. Because there are things that when I speak to someone that's African-American, all everybody seems to know. <laughs> Terminology, words, verbiage. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, how do, I not even, how do I not know this? But I'm not taught that. Things like the Great Migration. I didn't, even know what that, I didn't even know what that term was. And many of you sitting here are looking at me, and I'm telling you right now, you don't know what that is either. And it's the migration of six million African Americans from the south to the north, to the west, and to the Midwest during Jim Crow. And at the end of Jim Crow, as it was coming to an end, and six million people relocating as they rebuilt their lives. When we talk about pain and when we, 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 when we talk about people that are kneeling, you know, in the Super Bowl and people are outraged by it and some of it's faux outrage and the media loves to blow it into a storm of you know what, but understand that there is a pain underneath that that oftentimes if I'm not careful of in my ignorance which produces indifference, I will not hear and I will not listen and I will not care to the pain of my brothers and sisters that do not look like me. Ignorance leads to indifference and indifference leads to immaturity. See, in my house... It wasn't uncommon to hear words that were used by my grandparents to describe someone of color. A word that I won't even repeat on a microphone in this moment. It's two generations from me. Just two. There are things happening in the news right now. Politicians. We won't even get into all the details of it, but literally just 30 years ago, people dressing in Ku Klux Klan garb. When we talk about racial reconciliation, we have to acknowledge the realities. Not that every person is racist, not at all, but that there is pain and heartache and oftentimes, might I add, a lack of acknowledgement from white men and women, especially pastors, who will stand on a microphone and say, this is not right, it is not okay, and we are speaking against it. And it's not right, and it's not okay, and in our church, we will speak against it. And if you stick your head in the sand, which you are entitled to, you, are, you do not have to leave our church because you think that that is not true. But I would invite you into a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you. 
Someone shut those doors, please. So when we speak about church and we speak about faith and we speak about Christianity, this is a touchy conversation. And I want you to understand why for so many it's, it's why this has become such a, a lightning rod. And in many ways, the things that we're seeing right now in our culture, it's not like they weren't there. They've just now been brought to the surface. And by the way, when we speak of racism, it doesn't have to just be between black people and white people. There are other forms of racism that exist, not only in our country, but around the world, obviously. But I'm speaking to the, the, to the heartbeat of this one right here. In, in Birmingham, just a, few, just a few miles from here, we've got a brand new church, a new High Point church that's being started. They're in the living room stage. And just 50 years ago, little over, if you were to testify in a court of law, you had a Bible that a white person would touch before they were sworn an oath. This was the Bible that they used. And a black person would swear on a completely different Bible because heaven forbid this spiritual biblical text be touched by the same hands. And we wonder why faith and Christianity and racism and reconciliation have been so hard for us when the very place that should have, have embodied reconciliation, the scriptures are being used as a weapon to divide. And Jesus He's going the distance right here, and for many of us, we don't read it and see it. Just like we don't, we don't even read, we don't read the scriptures and see African history in it. I had to be taught this because I read it through my own lens of personal experience. Africa itself is central to the gospel story, and we miss it. Moses spent time in Africa. Do you remember that? When he led the Israelites out of northern Africa. Okay? We don't think of it that way. You think of Egypt and the pyramids. By the way, that's Africa. Geography lesson, you just got served this morning, church. Joseph. Twelve tribes of Israel spent time and lived and served in Africa. Abraham spent time in Africa. New Testament tells us of the Ethiopian eunuch. That is Africa. But we don't think of it that way. Many of us do not. We live kind of in this isolated moment where this is the Bible and these are kind of these Christian texts, but we, we somehow don't take it and actually appropriate it to the world that we see and the world that we live in. And the Ethiopian church went on to become one of the most prolific churches in the early church out of the heart and bedrock of Africa. It's incredible. 
When you read of names of leaders, we are not just talking about random people. Some of these names are African names. And we miss it. Because we know the world that we know. And if you don't step out of it and sit and listen and hear, you'll never know anything else. And ignorance leads to indifference. Getting back to our parable, Jesus shared this story. And he shared the story of the good Samaritan. But understand something. What did these two gentlemen do that was so bad prior to the Good Samaritan? It wasn't like that they cursed this guy. They didn't beat this guy up. They didn't rob this guy. They didn't put him in the condition that he was in. They were not responsible in any way, shape, or form for contributing to the condition of this man's pain. They had nothing to do with it, and yet they were still in the wrong. Why? Because they walked past their brother in pain. And that is why they were in the wrong. And the hero of the story is the one who doesn't even know the truth. The Samaritan. Who ministers to the pain of the man on the sidewalk. See, indifference does this thing. Where, where you're, you're ignorant or, 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 or you just don't know. But, but then this thing that, that happens where, where you begin to say to yourself, well, that's not really my problem. That's not the world that I know. I, I don't know anything about that, and I'd kind of just prefer to not really know about that. It's easier for me to continue living in this world. It's comfortable, I know it, and I understand it. You see, ignorance produces indifference. And so I prefer to be indifferent to the pain because I don't really, I don't understand that. I don't get that. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's not really my problem. So I'm going to leave it for somebody else to deal with. And so we never speak up about injustices or things that are wrong, and we haven't spoken up about racism because many of us, frankly, are ignorant to it and have grown indifferent to it. I'd really kind of just prefer to walk on by with my head down and get to my business over here because that doesn't really impact me. I don't really know, I don't know much about that. I'm not doing that. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't create this situation. I don't do that. And therefore, I won't say anything about it. And I walk past the pain. Or I walk past the situation. Or I walk past fill in the blank. I become indifferent. Indifference leads to immaturity. Martin Luther King says it like this. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I don't know if that doesn't look like it all made it on there. The last two words are outright rejection. Lukewarm acceptance is more bewildering than outright rejection. That convicts me. 
convicts me. Tragically, too often in the past, Christians have turned a blind eye to racism or have been willing to stand aside while others take the lead in racial reconciliation, saying it was not our responsibility. I admit I share in that blame. That is from Billy Graham. I share in that as well. I don't preach this message because in any way I have shame. Because I don't. Not ashamed of the color of my skin, nor should you be ashamed of yours. You should celebrate it. I don't have guilt. But I am guilty at times of walking past conversations and relationships and friendships and stories my head down stopping intending to the pain of my brother I've done that it's not right It's not okay. So now we have this awkward moment. What do we do? Because for many of us, you, 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 you might even be sitting here and you're mad hearing this message. I'm glad that you are. You might be sitting here and you might be thinking, I cannot believe Andy is going there today. Great. What do we do with a message where things are brought to your attention and you're hearing the story of Jesus teaching the Good Samaritan and now what do we actually do with it? I want to give you some very practical things as we strive to live out a church that, has, that is forgiven, that lives in the grace and truth of Jesus, that lives trying to devote our life to Jesus and to treat people the way Jesus would have us treat people. And that means that we don't just walk on by. Jesus tells this story that the, the person least like yourself is your neighbor and should be loved the same way you'd want to be loved. That is essentially the big idea of the Good Samaritan. The person least like you, that's the guy that's your neighbor. The one that you have nothing in common with, that's the guy. That's the person that should be loved the way that you want to be loved. How do you want to be loved? You want someone to stop. You want someone to listen. You want someone to hear. You don't want pity. That's the last thing you want, but you do want the dignity of someone looking at you and honoring and respecting you as a person and hearing your story and talking to one another and being willing to pray for one another and love one another the way Jesus loves each other or the way Jesus loves us, excuse me. 
And so I'm going to say something I've said a thousand times in this church. I don't think that we have a problem in our church with racism. I don't think that. In case you're wondering. But I think there's always room for us to grow. And to grow in relationship and to be mindful and aware and to present ourselves as learners of each other. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says that love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love. Hate what is evil. Hate it. Honor one another above yourselves. Put other people's needs beyond your own. Above your own. Their pain. You can't make yourself feel another person's pain. But you can certainly be there with them. You can talk to them. You can ask questions about it. How do you want to be loved? Proverbs 1.5 says that let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Let the wise listen. If you consider yourself a man of wisdom, a woman of wisdom, then I'm asking you now, become a great listener. You know what you shouldn't do, which I used to do, is present myself as some kind of expert on racial reconciliation when I hardly had any relationships with people who didn't even look like me. How can I possibly speak to something like racism when I've never even sat down and heard someone's story? I can't. But wisdom reminds me. It says to me, listen. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Like a student. This message is not, you'll notice I haven't taken any sides politically on anything. I don't care. I don't care if you lean left politically or right politically. I don't care. I don't care if you are in support of people kneeling during the Super Bowl halftime show or during the national anthem, excuse me. It doesn't bother me whatever position that you are on. I have my own thoughts right? But as someone who wants to grow in wisdom, and as someone who wants to grow in love for one another, 
rather than me being mad and outraged and putting my head down and having this passive-aggressive post towards everybody who wouldn't think like I think and me just blowing off steam on social media, you know what would be great is actually having coffee with someone who doesn't think like I think and learn to hear their story and why they think the way they think and what they're feeling and, and, and what's driven that and become an actual friend to someone who doesn't look like you, think like you, or talk like you. It's amazing what it will do for you. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. your life looked ignorant about things like mine did to be transparent maybe there has been something more in your own heart deep-seated anger for someone a people group maybe it was how you were raised maybe it's how you were taught well the scriptures remind us to hate what is evil cling to what is good. In fact, the scriptures teach us to reject that which is not of God. And you know what Jesus is not about? It's not about somehow a people group being better than others, being superior to one or another. He's about you and I learning to love one another the way he loved all of mankind and died for every single tribe, nation, Etc., etc., etc. And to your feet, church. One of the reasons we have life groups in our church is to grow in relationship with one another. And I am asking you, and I'm inviting you, and I am imploring you to do that very thing. The other thing that I'm asking you to do is to be the kind of person who has the courage to build a relationship with someone, a real relationship with someone, and ask the tough questions and listen. Don't have an answer for everything. Have ears for everything. Listen, listen, listen. Have a heart of compassion. A heart that's willing to grow. A heart that's willing to forgive. A heart that's willing become more like Jesus. Father, we thank you. In this moment, God, we reject ignorance. We reject indifference. We reject immaturity. Lord, and we long for uh, relationships, Lord, with people who do not look like us. God, we long to be learners. We long to grow. We, we long to rid ourselves of malice in our heart. God, I'm asking even now that you would help us not be complacent in our relationships, but men and women who strive to be reconciled, who strive to be united, that we would let nothing divide us, Lord. 
God, nothing divides us from your love. God, there's no height, no depth. God, that can separate us from the love of Jesus. God, how much more are we supposed to live that way with our brothers and sisters? Lord, let nothing divide our love for each other. God, forgive us when we fail. Help us, Lord, to live reconciled, not only to you, but to each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, have a great Super Bowl Sunday. If you want any information about anything that's going on, you can text HP Info to 97000. And if today has produced some conversations in you that you need to have, go get them. Go have them. Have the coffees, have the lunches, have the dinners, have the life groups. Share the life that needs to be shared. Amen. See you next Sunday.